Depression is a rapidly growing issue in our society today, and the facts about depression in Australia are pretty staggering. They say that one in seven people will experience depression throughout the course of their life. One in 16 people in Australia, that's one and a half million people, is currently suffering from depression. The World Health Organisation say that depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. And there's an ever-increasing number of organisations that are seeking to help people who are dealing with depression. Organisations like Beyond Blue or Lifeline, Headspace, uh, the Black Dog Institute. They run a thing called Are You OK Day in September and encourage you to have a look around uh, to the people who are close to you who might be suffering from depression. Depression isn't something that just impacts you uh, when you face a tragedy in your life. There are some very famous and successful people who've lived with depression their whole lives. Uh, Winston Churchill talked about his depression as being the black dog. Buzz Aldrin, the first man to set foot on the moon, was struggled with it his, during his life. Abraham Lincoln, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, Brad Pitt, David Letterman, Jim Carrey, Michael Slater, Olivia Newton-John have all been very public about their struggles with depression. And I think it would be safe to say that the writer of the Psalms we're looking at today also knew a thing or two about depression. Depression can be a debilitating thing. Some of the symptoms of depression are feelings of sorrow, guilt, hopelessness and helplessness, crying easily and frequently, loss of enthusiasm for life, losing motivation and interest in the environment, lack of energy, feeling fatigued, irritable, hostile anxiety. Physical pains can often have no explanation, such as a sore back or abdominal pain or headaches. And I think we see many of those things in these two psalms. Now, don't misunderstand me. But I think that this is one of the wonderful things about the Psalms. The Psalms are an expression of people's relationship with God. There are Psalms of great thankfulness. There are Psalms of praise and joy. Psalms where the writer is asking questions. Psalms where the writer expresses anxiety and fear. And there are Psalms like this where the writer expresses his immense sadness and feeling of isolation. Psalms 42 and 43 pretty clearly fit together as one psalm, just one poem with three stanzas, three verses, and each verse finishes with the refrain. You'll see it there in, in Psalm 42, starting at verse number 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And the psalm is really an attempt to answer those two questions. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And it's an attempt to put into practice the advice that he gives himself. Put your hope in God. Now, as the psalm begins, we're not too sure about the situation for the writer. We're not sure where he is. We don't know what the source of his troubles are. We don't know why he's feeling downcast. But right off the bat, we do know that he feels a long way from God. Have a look at those opening verses of Psalm 42. 
As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? He uses this image of thirst and drought to convey how distant God feels at this point in time. But it's not just that God feels distant. It's the immense sadness and isolation that he feels. In verse 3, the NIV kind of gets a little bit wrong with the translation. It's not people who are saying to him, where is your God? It's his own tears that are asking that question. Uh, The verse should read, as the King James says, my tears have been my food day and night, and they say to me all day long, where is your God? It's a pitiful image, isn't it? Here's a man thirsting after God. The only water that he seems to have is his tears, and his tears are mocking him and saying, where is your God? But he refuses to let the tears have the last word. The sadness of his present situation is not all there is. You see it there in verse 4. He remembers better times. Times without tears. He remembers being with God's people. He remembers festivals at the temple in Jerusalem. He remembers being among God's people as they sing songs of thanksgiving to God. Now he feels that God is remote. But he remembers back to better times, times when God felt a lot closer. So the writer asks the question, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. But look quickly at verse number 6, where the psalm picks it up again. My soul is downcast within me. Now, logically he knows that he shouldn't feel downcast. Logically he knows that the way that he's feeling is not how things have always been. But at this point... Logic has got nothing to do with it. He is feeling downcast. In fact, he's feeling overwhelmed by the whole situation. The image changes and it's no longer an image of drought. It's now flood and he appears to be trapped by it. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. And we start to find out a little more about why he's feeling downcast. We're given a geographical clue there in verse 6. We know from the opening stanza that he feels isolated and far from God. And now we see that geography may have some part to play in that. He says he's near the heights of Hermon. That puts him in the very north of the land of Israel, right up there on the northern border. He feels a long way from God, and part of the reason for that is that he's a long way from Jerusalem, a long way from the temple. The temple was symbolically where God dwelt, and being away from the temple would contribute to his feelings of being distant from God. But it's mixed feelings that he has. He's feeling a long way from God, but at the same time, he knows that God's not confined to the temple. Yahweh is the God of all the universe. 
And he knows that God is close by. That's why he's praying, because he knows that God will hear him. The fact that he's putting these feelings into words, the fact that he's praying and talking to God means that he's not totally isolated from God and he's determined to remember his relationship with God, determined to remember that Yahweh is his God. But he's plagued by these mixed feelings, remembering God is both a comfort for but also that that fuels the idea that he is feeling isolated from God. On the one hand, he can say, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life, of the God of my life. But if that's so, then he wants to ask, I say to my Say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemies? It's not just geography that makes him feel a long way from God. It's also the fact that he's among those who don't know God. Before it was his tears that were taunting him, now it's his enemies, those living up on that northern border who are taunting him. He's surrounded by those who are dismissive of his God. Look at it in verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? It can be a very unpleasant feeling to be outnumbered. Now, I know that this doesn't really compare, but it kind of gives you some idea of what it means to feel uh, outnumbered. Uh, When we lived in Byron Bay, I took my son Jacob Uh, who was about eight years old at the time, uh, to Brisbane to watch the Tigers play the Broncos. Uh, It was played at uh, ANZ, the old ANZ Stadium, and it was their final game for the year, so there was a pretty big crowd there, about 30,000, 35,000 people. Now, by my rough calculation, I think there were probably about 15 of us there who were supporting the Tigers. That was a very lonely feeling. And to make matters worse, the Tigers got completely thumped by the Broncos. As we walked out of the ground back to the car in the car park, I remember Jacob was wearing his Tigers cap and I thought it might be best if we take that off and uh, put it into the backpack just to be on the safe side. That's what the writer's feeling. Here he is right up on the northern border of Israel. He's feeling isolated as, as though God is distant and his enemies, well, They're right there and they're compounding the situation by taunting him and saying, so where is your God? But he's determined not to let his enemies have the last word and we see it again in the refrain, verse 11 of Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. By the time we reach the last stanza, we can see a a tiny note of confidence in the writer's voice. He's still feeling isolated and he's still feeling downcast. He expresses his confidence in God and that God can and will do something. You see it there, Psalm 43, verse 3. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. 
Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. By the time we reach the final refrain, the tone has changed. If the statistics about depression are right, then there'll be a reasonable number of people watching online who suffer from serious depression. One of the very unhelpful ideas that was floated around among Christian circles for quite some time is the idea that Christians shouldn't suffer from depression. People would say that that you don't seem to understand if if you think you're suffering from depression. The Christian life elevates you above all of that. But the people who say that sort of thing don't don't understand much about depression or about the Christian life. Depression is a physical illness. It's a real thing and even Christians will suffer from it. But this isn't just a psalm about suffering from depression. There are important things that we can learn here from the psalm about living the Christian life. For each one of us, there will be times in our life when we feel isolated from God. There will be times when we feel God is distant and remote. There will be times when we'll feel feel overwhelmed by our situation. And what the writer says here in this psalm can be of help to us. Let me tell you what the writer's advice would be to us today. First piece of advice would be this. Hang on to what you know. Hang on to what you know. And keep remembering God's past goodness. One of the amazing things in this psalm is that in the midst of his despair, the writer can talk about God being the living God, his rock and his stronghold. He speaks about God that way because of past experiences, because of his ongoing relationship with God. There will be times when you and I will struggle in our faith. It may not be to the depths of depression that we see here in these psalms, but we will all face struggles in our faith. And when we face those struggles, it's important to remember God's past goodness to us. And if the writer can talk about God being the living God, about God being his rock and his stronghold, then how much more can we talk about God's goodness to us? We know the full extent of God's love. We know what God has done for us in Jesus. Whenever we feel isolated or overwhelmed, we need to remember the incredible love that God has shown to us. We need to remember the salvation and the forgiveness that God has given us. We need to remember the kindness that God has shown to us every single day. I think the second piece of advice from the writer of this psalm and it may sound a little bit ironic saying this while we're live streaming church, but we need to continue to meet together with God's people. One of the things that helps him see beyond the situation that he's in is remembering going to the temple. But it's not just about the building. He's remembering meeting with God's people. He's remembering singing songs of praise to God. Don't underestimate the importance of being part of a community of believers and meeting together, one-to-one, 
small groups, meeting on Zoom. God has called us into a relationship with himself, but he's also called us into a relationship with others, that we become a part of a family of believers. So it's not surprising that he talks about the better days, the days when he was with God's people at the temple. God hasn't called us to live in isolation. He's called us into relationship with him and with his people. And for the writer of the psalm, what compounded his downcast state was that he's surrounded by people who are attempting to undermine his confidence in God. We need to make sure that we are committed to meeting regularly with people who share what we believe. We don't meet together out of ritual. We don't meet together out of religious observance. We don't meet together out of habit or obligation. We don't meet together because it's our job. We meet together because we want to be encouraged in our relationship with God. We meet together because we want to encourage others in their relationship with God. When you read through the pages of the Old Testament, we see the difference between the relationship that Israel had with God and the relationship that we have with God because of Jesus. And the big difference between us and the writer of this psalm is that God is with us by his Holy Spirit. When Jesus met with his disciples on the night before he went to the cross, he said that he was going away but would give them the Holy Spirit. But look at what he says. It says this in John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. They're incredible words, aren't they? Jesus and the Father have made their home with us by the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel is this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our closeness to God is not determined by geography or buildings or rituals. God is with us at all times and in all circumstances by the power of the Holy Spirit in each of us.